I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. This week we are talking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, definite uh, from 1989. This movie opened up the same day as Tim Burton's Batman. And yeah. somehow we still remember this movie. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, I would say that the fact that this opened against Burton's Batman helped it. Like, people people who could not get tickets to see Batman went to go see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And it kind of made this movie a hit that where, where Disney didn't think it would be one. And for a bit, for a small moment in time, it was Disney's highest grossing movie ever. Until a few months later... When Dead Poet Society came out. So, um, for those of you keeping score, the other movie that Disney made that came out that year was The Little Mermaid. Which means Honey, I Shrunk the Kids made more money than The Little Mermaid. History is weird. It is. Uh, this had been in our list for a while, but uh, you really pushed for this one, Kiki, and there's a few reasons why. Yeah, well, recently I've been uh, watching a lot of Let's Plays for a video game called Grounded. Um, so if you're really into video games right now, you'll know that that's kind of the uh, recently been the new hotness for a lot of Let's Play channels. Interestingly, when people look at that game, they're like, so they just made... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids into a video game. And yeah, they kind of did, even to the point that uh, Grounded was one of the original titles of this film. Yeah, the Grounded, and then... Uh, oh, shoot, what was another? Well, it was, it was the second uh, title, because the original title that the writers brought to Disney was called The Teeny Weenies. When this... That... Yeah. <laughs> That would not script... be caught dead, even as a 10-year-old child going to see a movie called The Teeny Weenies. And I watched a TV show called The Littles. Yeah, no, uh, when this script showed up at Disney uh, by the original writers, they were like, Hi, do you want to buy our script? It's called Teeny Weenies. Um, and strangely enough, Disney was like, Yes, we do want to buy this script. But we do not want to call it Teeny Weenies. Thank you. No. But the one of the reasons that uh, that this film is kind of interesting is because this is one of the weirdest crossovers to my poor little brain. Because this script was brought to Disney Studios by Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna. And if those two names do not mean anything to you, 
you are about to go on a wild, wild ride. <laughs> we have talked about some of my favorite people on this show before. Um, you know, we we got to talk when we talked about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. We got to talk about, you know, trauma films. and <laughs> You know, we've gotten to talk about Roger Corman before on this show. And uh, now we're getting to uh, go back like we did uh, in our Doctor Strange episode and talk about our good old friends from uh, Full Moon Pictures here. Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna are the creative minds behind my, one of my personal favorite movies ever in history, Reanimator. So much so that I know that you traveled halfway across the country just to meet Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, and and have him sign several things, including a lovely Reanimator poster in which he signed Cat Dead, Details Later, Love Herbert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is one of my treasured possessions. Um, so yeah, uh, Stuart Gordon, who is uh, unfortunately no longer with us, and Brian Yesner, who at time of recording still is, thankfully, um, are some of the masters of schlocky B-horror films, uh, which is my personal fave genre. And they brought this weird little kids getting shrunk by their mad scientist father and having to traverse a backyard full of horrors to get back to him to Disney for reasons I cannot fathom. I guess because they didn't have the money to make this at their own studio. Quite possibly. Uh, one of the big questions that Disney had when reading the script is that they were afraid that uh, that they were going to kill off the kids just based on their reputation. And he had to, and they had to assure Disney, we will not kill off any of the kids. We will. We just want the audience to believe that they will die. Yeah, and I'm certain in. I mean, I really want to read this original script. I, I, this this is one of my like weird little holy grails of like what whatever Disney originally read from these two because it's got to be absolutely bonkers. Because I've seen some of the stuff they've put on camera. I cannot imagine what this original script read like. <laughs> um, in fact, um, Stuart Gordon was originally supposed to be the director of this film. Um, the, and then the eventual, he kind of fell ill. Yeah, he, he got some kind of illness and couldn't commit to the project. This was, I believe, the... Uh, the directorial debut of our good friend uh, Joe Johnston there. Uh, so, you know, Rocketeer and Jumanji and Pagemaster, and uh, we've talked about him tons. And, yeah. of course, eventually would uh, go on to do uh, Captain America First Avenger. Uh, 
So, um, so this is where it had, starts. Yeah, this is this is his first his first uh, directing job uh, is directing this weird little supposed to be Stuart Gordon project. You can see if you know anything about the work of Stuart Gordon and Brian Yesna shades of what they probably originally intended because there's some stuff in there that when I watched it as a kid I was like are they really going there like that that kid in the cheerio scene yeah Johnny me yeah I was like I'm sure there's some kids that still have nightmare like like 40 somethings I say kids like there's like our age people that I'm sure probably still have nightmares about that. Um, and of course, you know the the giant bugs are direct throwbacks to you know certain B movies of the the fifties and stuff like that. I mean, so much of this is you can call out particular scenes and go like if you know your b-movie history you can call out like exact films where you're like oh i know i know where that's that's being pulled from i feel like we've already talked about a movie about shrinking people that somehow involve ants yeah i know i know um but but whereas ant-man does it just kind of in the Let's do this to show off our our special effects and whatever. The way it's done here is very much homage. Mm -hmm. By the time you get around to Ant-Man, you don't feel, if you're the type of person I am, you know, you don't feel like, oh, this is a throwback to something like um them or whatever you know um, i'm just thinking of like like the possibility of hank pym and wayne zelinsky discussing shrinking terminology discussing discussing their various shrinking technologies yeah um michael douglas and and you know a uh you know rick moranis just came out of retirement michael douglas let's make that a disney plus short <laughs> that would be great I would I would love that. That's a crossover I would enjoy seeing. When you were watching this as a kid, you know you sat in the theater or if you watched it on VHS for the first time or something. I and you know Disney you <laughs> or the Disney Channel. Um yeah, I think this was one of the ones that I I saw um, on VHS because it, it came out early enough that, that this was not when I was seeing stuff in, in theaters yet but um, when you when when you first saw this movie as a, as a kid if you're our age you know the first thing that, that hit you watching these backyard scenes was oh man I, I want to I want this to be like a playground and then, of course, Disney made it into a playground. Yeah, yeah, there was a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playground area in one of the parts where you could climb on a, uh, a recreation of the ant and go through the grass fields. And 
they yeah, sort go of, down the little grass slide and everything. Yeah. There was a Honey I Shrunk the Kids ride at Epcot called Honey I Shrunk the Audience. Which, you know, they were they you know they they were able to get Rick Moranis back for that, and it was a 3D motion simulator ride where he shrunk the audience and then you kind of went through the similar similar that of to the first movie, but you have that 3D motion simulator thing and it was good, and you know, it replaced Captain Neo. And then when Michael Jackson died, uh, they brought back Captain Neo. Yeah, I am very sad that I never got to go in the little park thing and go down all the little slides and stuff. Yeah, because that was one thing that I really did want to do. Um, and it, it's one of those those things that I was I was very sad about. Um, and I believe some of the props and animatronics were part of the tour at the MGM Studios at one point. Yeah, I think I did. I think I did see those. Um, you know the the props on the on the tour. Uh, but uh, I don't think I I ever went through the ride and I definitely did not get to go through the little playground that they built which makes me sad um because that little that little playground thing when I found out that they had built it for real I was like oh that the dream <laughs> but no I never I never got to go through it myself um but yeah this this is one of those weird little things where I'm like, how in the world did this happen? I cannot believe this completely bizarre mix of minds put this together. And then, of course, it stars two of my favorite actors, Rick Moranis, and then Matt Frewer, who He's is him before. cast against type. We mentioned him before because when we talked about Super Mario Brothers, we mentioned Max Headroom, and John Furrier is, is Max Headroom. <laughs> yeah, Ma yeah, Matt Furrier. You have to do. I am currently in the middle of of watching a recent cyberpunky kind of series, and um, you are not allowed to do a cyberpunk series without putting Matt Furrier in it. Like it's just apparently I mean, against the law. He eventually ended up in the Lawnmower Man movies, which was, you know, by that point, it was just copying Max Headroom. <laughs> yeah, um, it it all it all goes back to that. But uh, but to see a movie where it's like, oh, it's a movie. It's about a sort of mad scientist. Matt Frewer's in it. Oh, really? What part does he play? The jock the, dad. <laughs> the, yeah, the jock dad next door. It's like, no, that that's not right. You've got you've got that mixed up. Um, well, we already have Rick Moranis playing the nerd dad, and that's him playing type. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I was like, okay. I mean, I guess I'm not saying Matt Frewer doesn't have range, but that's just all right. Um. And then, of course, the one that I had forgotten was in this, because I think the last time I saw this movie all the way through, I, I didn't know who she was in any other context, 
is of course we we have uh playing Matt Frewer's wife is uh Christine Sutherland who Mrs. everybody Summers. knows yeah everybody knows her best as as Joyce Buffy's mom from the Buffy TV series I turned on the movie and I'm sitting there watching it and I was like wait a minute is that Buffy's mom is that Joyce like Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the legendary Vic Morass, you know, he, again, he, like I said, he's playing type. He, you know, Ghostbusters, Little Shop of Horrors, Spaceballs. He's just the little nerd in the glasses. And just because Rick Moranis looks like a little nerd in the glasses. The only time he ever played against type was when he played Barney Rubble in The Flintstones, which would come out the year after this movie came out. <laughs> I mean, honestly, isn't Barney Rubble also just kind of a little nerd in glasses? Barney Rubble never wore glasses. Mr. I know, Frank but wore glasses. But he, it's 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 like the glasses are there even when the glasses aren't there, you know? Yeah, but uh, Moranis was not the first choice for this role. Uh, they the script was written with Chevy Chase in mind because. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation had just come out, and he kind of was like the it guy for comedies. It's just he was unavailable because he was filming Christmas Vacation, the sequel, which was the better option because, you know, it's the movie that everyone watches at Christmas. You forget how much I stay away from Christmas stuff at Christmas time. I watch Muppets at Christmas. End of list. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, the second choice was John Candy, who passed on the role, but suggested his good friend and co-star of many movie many of the movies. You know, he co-starred in Little Shop, co-starred in Spaceballs, and was also a fellow member of Second City. SCTV. John Candy suggests Rick Moranis, and honestly, of those three, I think Rick Moranis was the best choice. Yeah, I mean, it, it. you just gotta love it. Maybe if the neighbor was Dave Thomas. Good day, eh? You always are- yeah. <laughs> and there's your SCTV reference. <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is now set in Canada. <laughs> they get buried in snow and immediately freeze to death. The end. So... Uh, another big, another funny thing that I read, I found out reading for this movie, uh, Marcia Strassman, who plays, uh, R- R- Rick Moranis' wife in the movie, uh, she actually dyed her hair red for this movie, because they wanted, because the, the script called for the wife to be a redhead. After looking over the dailies, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg called Strassman and said, well, we think that the character would be better looking as a blonde. We want you to dye your hair blonde. She ends up telling uh, Joe Johnston, and he says, we've been filming for two weeks. We have half the movie with you as a redhead. And now they want you to dye your hair blonde. And uh, Katzenberg responds, don't worry, no one will notice. So for half of this movie, (laughs) she's a redhead, and for the second half of this movie, she's blonde. And if this is the first time you're finding that out, then that means Katzenberg was right. 
man, I hate to admit Katzenberg was right about anything, but I don't think I've ever noticed watching this movie. Because honestly, I hate to say it, but the mom does nothing in this movie. She would give her a moment to shine the sequel, but we're not talking about the sequel. Yeah, but in this movie, the mom does nothing. I feel she like she like was... takes a phone call. She passes out in the background of a shot. The mom is a non-issue for ninety-eight percent of this movie. I mean, it feel maybe that was something cut in the scripting because you know she seems to be the only one that's making any money in this household because we we see. Uh, I mean, she sells houses. She's she's a realtor. And we we get a a quick throwaway mention of Rick Moranis having quit his job to be a full time inventor. And when the shrinking ray doesn't sell, he says maybe I can go get my old job back. So it's clear that she's the only one making money in the family, which is why she's never home. Which is leads us to um, daughter Amy kind of becoming the default adult at the house. Uh, and the thing is, is that she's also never home because. They've been having some sort of marital trouble, and they had a fight, and Mom is staying at Grandma's again. That is the first thing we find out in the movie, is that the daughter is making breakfast for the son, and basically, well, and the dad, and basically taking care of the household because Mom is staying at Grandma's again because Mom and Dad had a fight. So it's clear that while she wants to be supportive of her husband being an inventor, it's clearly straining them. Yeah, I mean, you can tell this was not written to be a Disney movie straight up. Because I don't think that Disney would have commissioned this movie and was like, hey, start it off with the parents are fighting and on their way toward a divorce. <laughs> um. Like, you know, we, we've talked about it before, like, pre-Disney Renaissance, and this was literally the start of the Disney Renaissance, like we said. A few months Little later, Mermaid, Little, yeah, Little Mermaid, yeah, out Little Mermaid came out this year, this same year. So, um, you know, even during the, the weird experimental time Disney was going through at this moment, I still don't think Disney would have, would have been like hey let's start the movie with you know mm -hmm. um however that is how they they chose to start the movie and i think that was left over from the gordon yesna script because mm -hmm. that is very much how they would have started a movie and we have little Nikki, who is the spitting image of his father, has the glasses, has the same haircut, even wearing a little baby lab coat because he wants to be like his dad. And he's tinkering around with some sort of little uh, toy ray gun thing that he's trying to use on the dog, which is so cute. Mm -hmm. Both the dog and the little ray gun, you know, that he's trying to use. The dog in this movie is just so cute. Yeah. Quark. The, yeah, the daughter in this is the typical 80s teenager. She talks on the phone all the time, and all she wants to do is go to the mall. 
and talk about boys because the school <laughs> dance is coming up and she wants the popular boy to take her. And he's going to be at the mall later, which means she has to be at the mall later so they can meet up and he can potentially ask her to the dance. Yeah, all the boys in this movie get kind of clearly defined personalities. And her personality is girl. And her personality is girl. We've talked about it so many times, but man, all the boys in this movie get some sort of nuance and she gets girl. Because we got... Yeah, yeah. We get Nikki, who is like a nerd. We get Ron, the next door neighbor, who is Nick's bully. And we got the older brother, Russ Jr., who is... Little Russ. Yeah. Yeah. Who is not into sports. He's not into fishing. But he's really into girls. Yeah, and that's such a weird part of the movie because, the you know... Matt Frewer as Big Russ is very much, you think it's going to go, and it sort of does go the way of, like, he he finds out that his son got cut from the football team for being too small for football, and that makes him upset, and he's like, I don't get it, my son's not into football, and he's not into fishing, and he's not into weightlifting, and he's not into baseball, and he's not into boy stuff. And then he catches his son, like, ogling the really pretty girl next door as she's dancing... If he had, that's one thing that I think would have gotten into his head. Is like he, you know, he takes out the weights and say, "Hey, I li- if you if you lift these weights for a few months, you'll be the you'll be the strongest athlete on the team." If he had said, "Hey, if you lift these weights for a few months, the girls will be all over you," maybe that would have clicked into his head. Well, but I'm not even talking about that. Like he keeps going, like, "What's wrong with my son?" And you know, like the end of that train of thought for a guy like that you know like ah, what's wrong with okay. my son he's not into all the masculine things and you know that that's where his brain is going and then he catches his son like ogling the the, the girl cute next girl door. next door and you would think like that would be like oh thank goodness you know with the implication of there's nothing wrong with my son oh good he's just really preoccupied with the girl next door he wants to be home he don't want to be home at he don't want to be at football practice he wants to be home staring at the girl next door well at least i don't have to worry about that now you know i think that's a little too too mature for a disney movie I know, but at least, you know, you would kind of like, but he still yells at him for staring at the girl next door instead of wanting to go fishing. And I'm like, my dude, isn't this what you want? Like, don't you want, like, the weird little heteronormative, like, child? Like, Yeah, he's Big Ross, <laughs> Russ, you know, Big Ross, Russ Sr. is obsessed over this fishing trip that they're taking. He puts a deposit on a cabin that they're that they're going to be staying at for the weekend. And everyone has to come. It's like, you know, like... But They're getting in the RV. He's packing up all the the frozen foods and stuff. And mispronouncing them. <laughs> yeah. Chicken par- parmigiano and all that. Yeah, But I- that is the one weird part of the movie to me. Like, the rest of it makes sense. But the fact that he finds his... 
his son obviously having a crush on the the neighbor girl and he's still mad at him for that and i'm like okay i get that you consider it a weird family but even in the weird family she's the one quote-unquote normal one like she's the one trying to be the popular girl at school she follows the fashion trends she does all the appropriate feminine things like you know mm-hmm. the the rest of them are the the weird nerds sciencey <laughs> ones yeah the weird nerd ones and she's the one like oh i have to get dressed up and go to the prom i have to go to the mall i have to do the n- normal societal thing like if anything, that should be, like, the one member of the family. You know, that should be, like, the Marilyn in the Munsters or whatever, where everybody's like, I mean, oh, right you when, poor normal child living with this family of freaks, you know? <laughs> like, you know, as, as Wayne is getting all of his stuff to go to this conference to try to sell his laser, she just says, hey, don't forget to pick up my, my dress for the dance at the dry cleaners. Just to kind yeah. of push home the, this, she is obsessed with fashion. For, for she is a teenager in the 80s. The the one thing about her that I did relate to, though, is that at the beginning of the movie where she's on the phone and she ends up getting caught Angle, up in, yeah. the, in the phone cord because it's one of the really long phone cords and she's running around the kitchen doing stuff and then she hangs up the phone and she realizes she's tied up in the phone cord and she has to pick up the phone and untangle herself and then hang up the phone again. You see, I did kids, that back so in the many old, times. You see, kids, back in the old days, back in our day, back when dinosaurs ruled the earth, phones used to be attached to the wall with a cord. <laughs> and if you if you had a really long phone cord so you could wander around the house and still do stuff while you were on the phone with your friends, Sometimes you would be forgetful and tangle yourself up in the phone cord and hang or up the phone. Or knock stuff over. Knock st- I, I would be the. I was the one that would knock stuff over. Oh yeah, you know, if you had like an island in your kitchen or something, and you walked across it, and then all of a sudden you'd hear like a crash, and you'd be like, "Oh man, I just knocked over a glass of water." Yeah. Ugh. I'll call you back. <laughs> yeah, I'll call you back. I just have to clean up like four dishes I just knocked to the floor. Yeah, that was my entire dinner on the floor now. Yeah. No, I did I did that so many times. But yeah, that was that was the one like relatable thing of that opening with her trying to you know, do her let's go to the mall bit. Um but yeah, I I loved all this little science stuff in their house when I was a kid. Cuz they had all the, the the little machines that would transmit from the attic to the yeah, to the before text messaging. <laughs> yeah, he invented text messaging before text messaging. Um so yeah, he she, uh she, there, there's a buzzer in the kitchen. To let him know, hey, come down to eat, and then he'll type on his computer, and it'll send a message off off a little uh, receipt printer from f- that you would see at a at a store, and with with whatever his message is. So yeah, he, he invented text messaging. <laughs> yeah, and it looks so weird and and quaint now, but that was like hilariously cutting edge technology. I, you know, I wanted a house wired for that stuff when i was 
And I now could. you do. <laughs> and now I do. And I still just yell across the house. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting that I can, you know, make all my, you know, Bezos enabled wiretaps do it for me. And instead, I still just scream across the house to whoever's around, you know. Um, the The really awesome thing, though, is how cool the cobbled together look of it was. Yeah. Like, Barely. he really did believe that he built it all in his house. From just materials he found. From, like, Radio Shack parts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, man, it, remember it, when you could just go to Radio Shack and just buy random electronic nonsense? Uh, we're old. We are so old. It It gave me a very... Doc Brown's house at the beginning of Back to the Future. Yeah. Same vibe. Also, the musical score is very Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well, it is James Horner. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, it's got that... Uh, I mean, of course, he's he's kind of best known for for his work with James Cameron because he did, you know, Titanic and Avatar and all that. But, of course, he did a couple of the the uh, Star Trek films. So, you know, Rathicon and Search for Spock are his. And then, of course, he did Rocketeer. So we've we've talked about his work on, on that before. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's 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 legit. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, he 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 pulls he pulls in you know a lot of those those little um, nods to other things. Even, and then of course he's got that dun 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 da 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 da, da you know that, that I was he pulls getting in. to that. I was getting yeah. to that, and that resulted in a lawsuit. Yeah, it did. Raymond Scott, who wrote that, the song is called Powerhouse. Raymond Scott wrote that, and when he saw the movie, and the song, he heard his song, or at least a file off the serial numbers version of it, he sued Disney because for, you know, for, for copyright infringement. And they settled out of court, and he did get some royalties, and because of that, the soundtrack to Honey, I Shrek the Kids wouldn't get released for about 30 years. It it's it was interesting when you know when I heard it cuz I was like isn't that I've heard um, that in a, in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah, that's that, that's cartoon. a Warner Brothers thing. That's not Disney. Come on, you know. It was really weird, you know, when when I was a kid cuz I was like that's you know, that's a that's a Looney Tunes thing. So. Yeah. But Looney Tunes did a lot of that old, you know. Well, it, it would have been contemporary music back then, but we would consider it older music now because it was the 30s and 40s. Yeah. There there was something in the, the 80s films that we loved about just a random dude making weird gadgets in his 
attic, basement, garage, gone awry movies. You know? Kind of going with that 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 trope or uh, that dream of being the self-made man. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, there were so I, many of them in that time period that I, I don't really know what was in the in the water in Hollywood at the time, but man, did we get a lot of them? I mean, it it, it did it, it did inspire people. You know, everyone was like, uh, "I'm going to invent the next big thing, and then I'm going to be rich." I mean, we didn't really get over that. But I think it's just less interesting to write a movie about, you know, somebody creating the next, you know, app. For some reason in the in the 80s, we were we were kind of willing to believe like. Random suburban dad can create shrink ray in attic. And now. We only will believe that if it's like in the comic book universe. Yeah. You know, it's like there's there's something broken in our suspension of disbelief, I think. I mean, we, we most of uh, most of us, most of the people living today are have already resigned to the fact that back in the 80s, it was like, you know, all you need was a, a decent paying job and you can buy a house. Now there are people who are just regain resided to their fate of i'm never going to own a house ne- ever so like the 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 depression is synced into the the dreaming for me yeah I, I think it was different from like you know a, a guy with a dream and you know 50 bucks on a radio shack and you can create random sci-fi nonsense and now it's like Maybe with five bucks, I can afford some fries at McDonald's if I'm lucky, you know? <laughs> I could do that or I could eat today. Yeah. Poor Nikki. Like, Nikki is just completely out of... He he has no interest in any kind of physical labor whatsoever. Like, they ask him about, you know, do you do any sports? Is this sports are for mortals? His dad asked him to mow the lawn and he bucks it off to his buddy. Which like, you gotta you gotta love the way he does that because he's like, if you mow my lawn, I'll let you use the, the robo lawnmower with the with the, the remote control. And like that was a way to make a kid do anything in the eighties was be like, I've got a remote control for it. Yeah. Like, you cannot underestimate, like, a kid in the 80s, early 90s would do anything if it was done by remote control. I mean, for some of us, we were the remote control. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that time when your parents would just, like, poke you in the arm and be like, Channel We're on six. Channel 5, kid, the news is on. Yeah. <laughs> Go turn the volume up. Like, yeah. <laughs> your mother can't hear the. Your mother can't hear her stories. Turn the till you tell them turn the volume up. Yup. My my grandma used to say, "You're still on your first legs. Go do it." <laughs> I used to go like, "Aren't you technically still on your first legs?" And like, or I've got a bone in my leg. That was the other one she would say. <laughs> go go go! Turn up the volume for me. I got a bone in my leg. 
I'd be halfway to the TV and I'd go like, wait a minute. You're supposed to have bone in your leg. You're supposed to have more than one bone in your leg, actually. <laughs> well, you're but already I was already here. halfway to the TV, so I'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, but... so we got the we got the the household of quirky inventors, and we got the the household, the household of, jocks. Of, of jocks, and each one of them has the line of like, what a weird family. Um, and each one has one that's different. Yeah. What an adorable meat cute. So of course, you know, you got you got little little Nikki who's tricking his friend question mark into coming back later to mow the lawn via he remote pulls, you know He pulls a Tom Sawyer and it works. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it's it's brilliant and I love it. Way to hustle. You know, but um, and then, of course, you got uh, Ron there over at the uh, Matt Frewer house where he's just like, yeah, I don't care about the fishing trip necessarily, but I'm going to play some baseball by myself. And, of course, we get the old trope of, oh, no, I have broken my neighbor's window. But little Russ is an upstanding sort of kid and also he really has a crush on the cute girl next door and he wants any excuse to go talk to her so he goes over to be like hey my little brother broke your window and i'm here to make him fess up and also it takes him about 10 minutes to get there it takes him about 10 minutes to get there because he's like hi hello i have forgotten my name and 90 percent of my brain functions yeah girl pretty Girl pretty. Little brother stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh we we finally get into the full shenanigans of the movie when you find out that the baseball jiggled the right jiggly thing to make the thing work correctly or wrongly or something y. And, you know, when the two little boys open the door, they get trunked. And when the older teenagers come up to look for their little brothers, they also get shrunked and now we have shrunked the kids. Yay. Yay. We have a title. <laughs> yeah. I think Honey, I Shrunked the Kids would have been a much better title, but nobody asked me. Did they? This movie actually got ridiculed for improper grammar. And no, I'm not joking about that. Like some some yeah, some group gave what they called a dunce cap to this movie for having an improper grammar title. It should be Honey, I Shrank the Kids. Not Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And the director says, yeah, that's the point. That's the joke. So, like, we're about half hour, 45 minutes into this movie, and the real movie finally begins with the kids now shrunk trying to get from the alley trash can back to the house. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that this movie is not so much plot-filled as it is your backyard is actually terrifying if you were the size of most of the creatures in it. Yeah, they see this... this, this to them, a river of, like, muddy water with dead bugs in it. And they say, hey, let's take a swim. No, I'm not swimming in that. 
Well, yeah, because I realized that it's probably just a river of dog pee. Yeah. Um. They don't say that for sure, but they say, you know, we don't actually know what that is. It could be anything. It could be, you know, the last place the dog went. Um, <laughs> the thing is, though, is that it starts out kind of fun for them because, you know, the first thing they do is they get on a blade of gl- grass and they slide down and it's like, wee slide and, you know, whatever. And then the... Nikki really quickly does some math because he had a calculator in his pocket because, of course, he did because he's a nerd. And you know what? Th- this movie actually made me kind of angry because I I kept thinking, like, you know, teachers in math class say that you're never going to have a calculator on it, but that kid gets shrunk and thrown out in the trash in his backyard and he still has a calculator on him. Um, But the... uh. The thing is that he does the math and he's like, okay, for us, this is going to be the equivalent of walking like over three miles or something. They they start the, the journey and then they're like, well, you know, let's climb this flower and we'll see where we are in the yard and which way we have to go. And then they fall into the pollen. And at first he correctly says like, hey, I can't be allergic to the pollen because it's too big to go in my nose. And then sneezes anyway, because joke. <laughs> and then he sneezes anyway, which completely ruins the, the joke there. Um, and then they get picked up by a bee. And we get the first bit of heroics from Little Russ. The bee scene for 1989 is actually pretty well filmed because you have to fit i don't know which one got filmed first but you got to film the the camera work in the backyard and then you have to film the kids on the b model or whatever it is and then having and then having to put those two together so it so it makes sense so for 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 1989 uh, special effects it wasn't that bad yeah to be honest i think that disney probably just used the same idea as most of their motion rides mm. where they you know moved the camera around the backyard and then they put the actors or stunt people on the giant bee and then they rear projected it and then moved the B in sync with the possible. I mean this is the about a the year visual. or so yeah this is about a year or so after Roger Rabbit came out. So they already had that technology when they did it with Toontown. Uh speaking of this movie came out with one of the Roger Rabbit shorts we've talked about previously, Tummy Trouble. So there you go. Yeah, and we we did mention that it it came out with the movie when we talked about the short, but uh, you know, mm. other way around now. Um, but yeah, no, and granted, you can see the the seams when you're watching it today. I mean, it's it's no it's, longer quite as impressive. Watching it but, on a VHS or old school. 
TV, it was fine, but now you're watching it in HD, Blu-ray quality. Yeah. Yeah, the copy on, on Disney Plus, you can definitely, you know, t- tell the tell the joins, as it were. Um, but it's still not bad. I mean, if you take into account, like, okay, yeah, this is like a f- almost 40-year-old movie now. It's uh, pretty damn good, you know? A lot of the, I mean, especially a lot of the practical effects still hold up. Oh, well, the the practical effects are, are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you can tell, of course, because the, the image is sharper. You can tell things like it's more obvious that when they're on the broom at the beginning, mm-hmm. you can tell that it's they're holding on to giant pieces of foam rather than actual uh, bits of broom straw. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't look quite like a broom or dog Whereas, hair. Or dog hair when they hold on to the dog. You know, mm-hmm. um, you can. The the blades of grass look a bit more plasticky than they did, you know, when you watched it in film quality and, and stuff. Um, so it's it's a little less forgiving, I think, if you uh, if you did it as practical effects today, I think they would work to. To make it, you know, put more flocking on certain things or, you know, make things look a little bit more realistic um, with some of the techniques that we have today. uh, Because they know that those, you know, high definition cameras are going to show every single flaw in it. But for the 80s, this was incredible and it's really impressive how much of it holds up um like it at some points it does really look like they're in a playground more than in a backyard but especially when they do the practical stuff when they do the forced perspective stuff Mm -hmm. uh it it holds up a lot better than the green screen and and everything it it mostly becomes an adventure movie once they get into the backyard, of course. But we get the the fact that all of the kids, their personality comes out a bit more. Yeah, and and that's the real interesting part of the movie. You know, little Ron still trying to have that 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 tough guy exterior like when we get back there my family's gonna sue your family for everything they got for what they did and and then like she uh, you know amy eventually just has enough it says fine when we get there you'll have everything you could ever want all i want is my little brother back but also we discover that amy is a little bit smarter than she lets on to a lot of people because yeah. she she knows how to twist it around on him 
because he's talking about, you know, oh, my family's going to sue and everything. And she says, oh, yeah, well, as soon as the world realizes that my father has created an actual shrink ray, we are going to be the richest family on the planet. You know, like, who do you think is going to win that lawsuit? <laughs> you have starts- to feel like that line was added after Disney got the script. Am I the and only then, one who thinks that? <laughs> and then he starts kissing her butt. I've always loved yeah. your family. Your dad's a genius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it, but uh, there's the 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 scene with uh, the water sprinklers, and she falls into the water and almost drowns. And little Russ saves her and gives her CPR. And the little one liners. Hey, wh- wh- where did you learn CPR? French class. Now for the older kids and for the adults, we get the joke. But little Nikki, who is, uh, you know, more into books than girls, is like, French class? How do you learn CPR in French class? And then, of course, that be- that becomes the final joke of the film. of like, oh, I get it now. French class. Ha, 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 Oh, poor Nikki. You still don't get the joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, you find out that little Russ has the... I mean, he's he's very intelligent and he's very sensitive, but he's also extremely brave. Very resourceful. Yeah, and extremely resourceful. And, you know, very good in an emergency situation. Like, he's just a dude you want around <laughs> if things go south, you know? You know, you find out that the two the two of them of of Amy and Russ really do make a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Ron having a bit of a of a of a touch with animals, connecting with uh, Auntie. Yeah, you don't think that he's going to have any sort of empathetic streak in him because he's been the bully the whole time, mm-hmm. but. When they come across the the ant, and he's the one that kind of has the, the the idea of like, hey, you know, maybe we can write it and everything, and he helps rig up the idea of, uh, you know. That kind of like carrot on the stick kind of idea with the cookie. With the cookie, yeah, yeah. The the oatmeal cream pie, the little Debbie that they find. Oh, I mean, little Debbie Cheerios. There's a lot of product placement in this movie. Yeah, there is a lot of like food. Camel cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah, that's another quirk of uh, Big Russ. Is he's supposed to be quitting smoking, but he he. He 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 sneaks away from his wife to get a, a few puffs in, mostly because he's just annoyed that his his eldest son doesn't want to be a, a jock like him. Yeah, but you know we see Ron getting really attached to the aunt, and at one point, you know, when they figure out that they're not going to make it back 
by, you know, sundown and that they're going to have to stay overnight in the yard. In that big Lego. (laughs) In the big Lego, you know. Yeah, so once they find the, the Lego piece for shelter, so there's your more tie in. And they actually um, use the brand name Lego. They don't say building block. They straight up say Lego. Yeah. Um but yeah, but it's it's Ron that wants to let the ant go, you know, he's like, you know, hey, once we rest up we can we can make it the rest of the way in the morning and all that. Like the the ant probably misses their family and you know. Um my mom will never let me keep you anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, like, you couldn't have, like, a little ant farm. Those were all the rage in the 80s. Mm. But the thing is, is that the ant won't leave. Because it's like, it's He's got attack. peels now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you have given me cookie, I will follow you anywhere. You know, then they get attacked by a scorpion. I don't know where they live, that there's a scorpion. It's supposed to be Beverly Hills, but this movie was filmed in New Mexico. So, uh, you know. I mean, either works, I guess. So, you know. You know, the scorpion attack is is horrific, but, you know, anti to the rescue. And this is uh, stop motion, I believe, and it's really good stop motion. Yeah, and I do like the kids fighting off the scorpion, you know. And one of them gets that good spear shot there with the the little stick they find on the ground. Uh, But poor Auntie. Yeah. If I had a nickel for every movie that involved people shrinking and an ant that died, (laughs) I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, you know the rest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. However, we finally get that payoff of the the lawnmower, you know, coming back because, like, the kid forgets to come back until the next morning, and then he's like, oh, yeah, remote control lawnmower. And the kids are like, no, not the lawnmower, you know. And then saved by the dog, and then we get the horrible... Nightmare Cheerios saying of like, Dad, don't eat me, I'm in the Cheerio. <laughs> Saved by the dog who bites uh, Wayne on the leg. To, yeah. So he, so he looks down, oh wait, my kid's in the, cere- in the cereal. Oh hey, the other kids are here too. You know that poor Rick Moranis in that movie, like, that, that, like Wayne is never ever going to trust cereal ever again. You know that every bite of cereal that guy is going to take for the rest of his life is going to be thoroughly studied with a magnifying glass before he eats it. <laughs> like, wonder- and you know that, like, poor poor little Nicky is going to gonna fall asleep for the rest of his life. Going like, can't sleep, dad'll eat me. Can't sleep, dad'll eat me. <laughs> like, there's going to be so much therapy for the, that poor family. And there's a bit of growth with with the Thompsons, you know, uh, you know, uh, Mefru in there, because he's originally like he's blaming the kids for just 
bailing on him and ruining his, his ruining his fishing trip, as he as he would say. You know, like, he loses yeah. the deposit on the cabin. He's his but his fishing buddy comes along, who is an even bigger a hole than uh, Big Russ is, yelling at his wife, saying, "You know, the 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 most important thing is getting to the fishing." To the to the to the to the fishing lodge rather than worrying about the kids. He makes up an excuse that his wife is sick. Well, you know, the, the, the big rest that I know wouldn't let a sick wife ruin his fishing trip. He'd come anyway. Yeah. And he says, No, 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 this is this is a serious thing. I, I can't leave her right now. I hope you understand. Go catch a big one for me. So I guess, you know, I get for as big an a-hole as Big Russ is in the movie, there's proof that there's even a bigger one. <laughs> and they figure it out. You know, they they they, they figure out that uh, you know, that the reason that the la- that uh, the shrink machine hasn't been working is because the laser is too hot and the baseball has been kind of a, a filter for the laser to make sure it shrinks. And they figure it out then. There's a nice little gag with 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 Mefrur here. Big Russ says he 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 says he's going to be the the dummy. Like, hey, you know, like you're not going to do anything on my kid until we figure out it works on a living being. You're going to do it on me. And there's that gag. He shrinks, he regrows, and then his hat's too big. Yeah, I like to believe that it was just his wife screwing with him because she's holding the hat. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I would do the same thing. I, I would have screwed with him. Like I would, I would purposely make his hat just a little bit bigger. That way, he puts. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, honestly, I I would I would have too, but I would have waited and I would have made him think that other things had not gotten to the correct size again. <laughs> but that's not just his- for the rest of his life. I would have been like, "Are you really sure?" <laughs> Everything is back the way it was <laughs> because I am evil. Yes, you are. <laughs> Before the kids uh, are are back to their normal size, little Russ finally works up the curse to ask Amy out to the dance, and she says, "Yeah, sure. You're not a bad guy. I'll go with the dance with you." Yeah, might as well. You We've know. had a life-threatening situation. That's what all great things are based on. Yeah, all great relationships start with a life-threatening uh, event and will last forever. Yeah, that's totally how that works. And you know, we 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 you know we we, we get a big moment with uh, Big Russ and Little Russ saying, you know, Little Russ saying, "Sorry, I ruined your your fishing trip. I just sorry I didn't want to go." And Big Russ has this moment. He's like, you know, I I don't care about the fishing trip. I care about you. And, well, you know, that's news to everyone, Dad. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, he could have. He could have easily said, screw the kids. I'm going on this trip. I put too much money into this trip. He even, you know, he complained that he, you know, $90 in 1989 was a lot more than $90 in 2023. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, the, like... Like, he could have easily said, you know, screw it, I'm packing up this RV, I'm going with or without the kids. They're on their own for the weekend until I get back. If you want to stay in with them, okay, honey, I'm, I'm you know. She, she'd probably say, yeah, you're going and you're not coming back. I mean, we we find out over the course of the movie, like, 
he wasn't cut from the team. He quit the team and, you know, he just was too scared to tell his dad and, you know, all these other little things about their relationship that, you know, that it's just such a bad relationship. Um, so it's, it's not just the fishing trip. It's just that little Russ is scared of his father. Yeah. And scared to disappoint his father. And I think that's 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 the growing moment where 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 Big Russ figures it out. You're like, all right, I'm putting too much pressure on my kid. I wish yeah. more. I wish more parents would would realize that. Don't some, don't put a lot of pressure on your kids. Let them be themselves. Yeah. But we get the you know the the final thing where it's like, oh, the families have become real real close and. That's a big turkey. And yeah, they they got Thanksgiving together and now the shrink ray makes things grow too and you know. That's that's for the sequel. We'll save that for the sequel. And you know, little Russ and Amy are playing footsie under the under the under the, uh, the under the table which kind of goes back to what the mom was worried about earlier. Our daughter with little Russ Thompson all alone in the dark. Who knows what that boy could do to her? Yeah. And that's the movie. I do want to say one thing, though, before we really wrap this up. I really want to say that I really did like that animated opening for this movie. Yeah, that was a thing I didn't remember. And watching it again, I was like, oh, yeah, this is so adorable. It's also one of Disney's early attempts at CG animation, although they did uh, cover it up with 2D animation to kind of blend it together. So the whole thing looks 2D, but there's uh, there's some there's some 3D elements like the uh, the hand vacuum is, is 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 CG. So like yeah, that 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 opening sequence is 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 really well animated. And yeah, I did. I did. That was a really nice surprise that had slipped my memory. And, I, you know, like I would I, I understand that this sequence was probably animated at a completely different time than the movie because they don't make the kids look like any of the kids in the movie. They're just two little kids with redheads with red hair, probably why they wanted the mom to be a redhead to kind of match that. But the, the the kids in the opening animation look nothing like the kids in the rest of the movie. Yeah, they probably started animating it before the casting was even finished. To be honest, quite possibly. But it's you know it 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 is you know cute seeing these little kids running around from every from normal everyday objects like a record player and paper airplane and and you know pencils and vacuum cleaners and the toaster. Before they get end up sealing an envelope and put in the mailbox, which leads us to the opening of uh, of the movie with the mailman putting the letters in the mailbox. Like if there's like a riff tracks of this, I'm pretty sure that's the joke. Cap, get us out of here! We're in this letter. Yeah. But yeah, that is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, we did this did become a franchise. Uh, we did get a sequel in '92, uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. We, uh, as we mentioned, we had a few Disney park attractions. There was that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playground. There was the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience ride. 
There was a third movie that no one really talks about, a direct-to-video film called Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, which uh, only Rick Moranis returned for that. None of the other actors did. There was a three-season show called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Not the series. It was actually called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Eh. It lasted three seasons. It was it, it was it was fine. I don't think I ever watched a single episode. Maybe some clips on YouTube, but you know, three years in syndication is not too bad. And it was announced uh, back in 2018 that one of the movies for Disney Plus would be a sequel to Honey I Shrunk the Kids, called Shrunk, which would star Josh Gad as the adult Nick Zelensky. We have not heard anything yet about what's going on with this movie, and it's 2023. Yeah, I mean, the the last we heard about it was pre-COVID, mm-hmm. and that was some reports that Rick Moranis would be, you know, now that he's kind of... His kids are grown, yeah. Now that he's kind of phasing out of his, you know, semi-retirement or pause in his career or whatever so that he could raise his kids, um, he had agreed, at least that was what we had heard, that he had agreed to come back for that and that Joe Johnston was coming back as the director. And that's but, all we know. That's, that's yeah, it. that was the that was the last we heard, and then COVID kind of shut everything down. And then with the changeovers, you know, in Disney management and everything, it's just kind of seemingly lost in the shuffle right now. And as we are recording this movie, the writer's strike is going on. So if that movie hasn't already been filmed, it ain't gonna for a while. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's everything's kind of up in the air at the moment as to what's being filmed and what's not due to negotiations. I mean, the, as of recording, the writer's guild is on strike. And SAG-AFTRA has a massive renegotiation as of right now that could end up in a strike for them. And also the Directors Guild is currently undergoing renegotiations that if they do not go well, they may also end up in a strike. So before the end of the year, it is possible that there will be three major guilds in Hollywood um, that might end up in in a strike, possibly all at the same time. Uh, and, and studios are saying, it's okay, we'll just use AI for everything, because of course. I mean, that would be literally writing, acting, and directing that they would have to use AI for. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I, I, I want to say good luck to them 
in a extremely ironic way uh because that would be funny in all the ways it isn't but uh you know yeah sometimes you gotta f around and find out so <laughs> Uh, well, we don't have writers in our podcast, so... Uh, <laughs> As I think everyone can tell. <laughs> but, yeah, so let's, let's, let's ask the question, Kiki. Does Honey, I Shrunk the Kids have the magic? Oh, I think it, it still does as a, as a cute little kids film. I mean, I think for adults going into it the first time, it's... It's going to be a curiosity at best. I think kids watching it would get something out of it. But I think for adults, it's mostly a nostalgia hit, if you remember it from your childhood. It's definitely a product of its time. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, some of the effects do still hold up, but story-wise, it's still a very much a product of its time. Uh, I remember liking this a lot more when I was a kid watching this than uh, I did on this rewatch. Uh, so as an adult who hasn't watched this movie in probably 20 something years, I'm going 25 years, I would say. Probably not. I, I hate saying that because I did love this movie as a kid and I did want to rewatch it for this podcast. Well, when you mentioned it, when you mentioned you want to watch, you know, do this movie, I, I, I was all down for it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, this movie, the concept is great. Uh, I did, even as a youngin', I did prefer the sequel more than the original. And I think that's still the case. So if we ever do the sequel one day, I might have a different opinion. So I'm going to, uh, unfortunately, say no magic. I mean, there's still magic for for me here, That's and fine. I I think it I think it mostly comes from nostalgia and seeing the threads of of where it came from and all the homages to you know the Incredible what, Shrinking Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean Incredible Shrinking Man and them and you know all the the weird little you know sci-fi stuff from the 50s and you know that they're throwing back to and probably whatever was in that weird little teeny weeny script that one day I would absolutely give a limb to read but you know and uh one more thing before we get going we haven't mentioned it but uh uh, it goes without saying, but all of the animal noises in this movie was done by Frank Welker, legendary voice actor, the voice of your childhood. So yeah, every dog bark, every cat meow, even the sound of the cat clock was all Frank Welker. Yeah. And, and even, if, even if I didn't already know that about what, looking at the cast listing, I could watch the movie and hear that dog bark. So, oh, hi, Frank, you're in this movie, too. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's amazing where Frank Welker shows up. It's like, suddenly, Frank Welker! <laughs> like, this dog didn't bark on cue. Don't worry, we'll get Frank to do it. He'll be fine. Yeah. So, uh, let's let's move on to next week. Kiki, I have one question for you for next week. Do you have a towel? 
I do. I always have a towel. I am a hoopy fruit. Yes. We so grab your towels for next week because we are celebrating Towel Day with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The attempt to make this into a movie. And uh the long and we'll go into the long history of of uh of Hitchhikers and and we finally get to talk about Douglas Adams. Because we didn't get to talk about him when we did our Doctor Who episode. This is why we're doing... This is why we didn't talk about him when we did Doctor Who. Because we're going to talk about him next week. Okay? Good. (laughs) So, uh, come back next week for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye! Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.